When David and I first started dating, I wanted to get to know him a little better, so I started listening to his old sermons. But if I'm honest, I was also listening because if this was going to be serious, I needed to like his preaching because a preacher's wife does not get to pick which church she wants to go to. So clearly, I enjoyed his preaching. And even though I'm married to a preacher, I am not a preacher. God has not called me to preach a new word every week, but God has called me to tell my story. I got married when I was 24 years old. We met at our Christian college and had been friends throughout college. We had similar beliefs and it just seemed like the next right step to get married. My dream had always been to have a family and to be married. And we had been married for almost four years and we were at that point where we were ready to start thinking about when we would be ready to have kids. I had even shifted into a new job that was a little more family friendly and allowed me to have a more flexible schedule for when kids were around. And then one night, my husband came home and he basically said, we no longer shared similar beliefs. He no longer wanted a family and he no longer believed in marriage. And he moved out the very next morning. There were no years of arguments or withdrawal. It was just over and there was nothing that I could do. My life changed in a way that I never could have predicted and definitely did not anticipate. There was a sense of shame and failure. I felt unlovable and unwanted. This was not supposed to happen to me. I wanna look at the story of a man in the Bible who also found himself in a place where he did not anticipate being. I invite you to look with me at the story of Joseph in Genesis. This story is found in the last chapters of Genesis, 37 through 50, and I'm just gonna paraphrase most of it for you. Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob. Joseph wasn't the oldest son, but he was the favorite son. Jacob had made Joseph this beautiful robe that signified to all of the other brothers and everyone who saw it that Joseph was the favorite. It represented not only the love that Jacob had for his son, but also the safety and security that Joseph felt was his father. So of course Joseph's brothers were jealous. What sibling would it be? And Joseph didn't really help the situation because he went to his siblings one day, all of his brothers gathered them around and said, hey, I had this dream from God and you all were all bowing down in front of me. What sibling would want to hear that, especially from the favorite son? So his brothers hated him even more, and they made a plan to get rid of him. Joseph's life was going great. He was on top. But then his brothers stripped him of that robe, the robe that signified his father's adoration and all of the safety and security that came with being the favorite, and they placed him in a pit. They decided that it would be better to sell him than to kill him because at least they could make some money. So they sell Joseph to a group of people passing by and Joseph eventually ends up as a slave in Egypt. Joseph had everything going for him. He was the favorite and he was living a great life. But in an instant, his world is turned upside down and he is separated from everything that he knows and taken to a foreign place as a slave. He has no family, 
no freedom and seems to have no future. Joseph was 17 years old at this time. And if you think about the 17 year olds that we know right now, you know, they're missing their proms or they were wishing they would walk it in their graduations. But Joseph was a slave. He was taken away from everything. And so how did Joseph handle it when his life shifted in a direction that it was not supposed to? I think the key to understanding how Joseph coped with this new life is found in Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, where it says, the Lord was with Joseph. A lot of times I feel like we can overlook this phrase pretty easily because we know that God is always with us. God is always present and God is always there. So we can miss the significance of this phrase because it just seems so natural, so obvious. But when we look at where Joseph is, he's now in Egypt. He's come face to face with this new reality that the likelihood of him returning home to his normal life is very, very small. And he's settling in to his new role in the house of Potiphar, captain of the guard for the Pharaoh of Egypt. The moment when this statement appears in the narrative is a turning point in Joseph's life. This is the most uncertain time he has ever faced. And here is where we find this statement. The Lord was with Joseph. Not as a way to tell us that God was now present, but as a way to signal that Joseph was now aware of the choice before him. He can choose anger and bitterness, blaming his brothers for this awful situation, or he can choose the presence of God and trusting that even though his life is completely different, God is still present and is still working to bring blessing to Joseph. It might have been easy for Joseph to overlook the presence of God when he was on top as the favorite son and everything was great. And it might have been easy for Joseph to forget that God was present in the chaos of being ambushed by his brothers and fearing for his life and in the journey as he's being taken away to Egypt. But when the dust settles on his new life that was not supposed to happen, Joseph remembers that the Lord is with him. Joseph realized that no matter how alone he felt, no matter how lost he felt in this strange land, no matter how unlovable and unwanted, no matter how much shame he felt, no matter how much he wished for that old life, he was not alone. And the verse finishes by saying that the Lord was with Joseph and he was very successful. Joseph continued to find purpose in this new life and became a blessing to the house of Potiphar, even though the situation was not going the way his life was supposed to. As the story continues, Joseph is wrongly accused of something and sent to jail, where he finds himself in a bad situation once again. And for two years, Joseph sits in jail for something he didn't do. But then he is taken from jail directly to Pharaoh to interpret a dream. And from there, Pharaoh recognizes the value of Joseph and puts him over the entire house of Pharaoh and over all of Egypt. And Pharaoh says, you are second only to me in regards to the throne. So Joseph literally went from being in a pit to being in charge of Egypt. Now Joseph had every right to be angry. He was severely mistreated by those who were supposed to love him. He was wrongly accused and jailed. He was experienced a multitude of injustice. It should not have been that way. 
And no one would have blamed him for experiencing anger, hate, bitterness, frustration, fear, worry. He could have spent the rest of his life in Egypt with a chip on his shoulder and everyone would have understood. And maybe he did experience those emotions. We don't really know. But what we do know is that these emotions didn't last long and that Joseph remained close to God. The Bible tells us that he was a blessing to the house of Potiphar, where he was a slave. In the midst of this worst case scenario, Joseph is a blessing to others. Even when life couldn't get worse, he chose the way of God and extends that outward to everyone around him. And when Pharaoh meets Joseph, he says of Joseph in Genesis chapter 41, verse 38, that Joseph was in the spirit of God. He could not have remained in the spirit if he was angry because anger, hate, bitterness, that's what happens when we focus on ourselves. And when you focus on yourself, it takes, your, it takes you away from the presence of God. But Joseph was able to handle this situation that should not have happened because he chose not to remain stuck in the what ifs, but chose to remain close to the spirit of God. This is the decision that every one of us has to make daily. Do I focus on myself or do I focus on the spirit? I wish I could say that I responded like Joseph when my situation turned upside down. Instead of focusing on the spirit, I chose fear. I was afraid of what my life would look like as a divorced woman. I was afraid that I would never have children, that I would never find love in marriage, I was afraid of what people would think about me when they found out. And my fear gave way to a lot of anger and bitterness that came out in a lot of angry text messages and voicemails. In my view, when he left, he took away my happiness because my idea of happiness was wrapped up in my identity as a wife. If I was divorced, who was I? I felt stripped of everything. My robe of safety and security was gone. My days were spent thinking about how this was wrong and should not be happening. I focused on the past and I saw no future. Every waking moment I spent thinking about what went wrong and surely this was just a nightmare that I would wake up from. The day after he left, I started that new job, that job that was supposed to set us up for starting a family. But I also woke up with this intense back pain. It was so hard to move. I couldn't stand up, and when I stood up, I couldn't sit down. I could barely walk without wincing, and I know that you could just see all of the pain on my face. And I was doing all of this while I was trying to learn a new job. And there was no medical explanation. I was a healthy young person. I hadn't hurt myself physically in any way. And I had started talking to a family friend who was a counselor, just telling her about my situation. And I just added as a side note that I was having this horrible pain. So she asked me, what are you thinking about? Well, of course I was thinking nothing good. And she reminded me that my body was just sending me a message that my negative thoughts, my fears, my worry, my anger, everything was literally crippling my body. I realized that my attitudes and my thoughts about myself were all negative and they were only disconnecting me from the Spirit of God. I was choosing to focus on myself and my own emotional pain and fear, and I was ignoring the presence of God. 
I couldn't take the physical pain anymore. And even though it was hard to change my thoughts, I knew that living with this pain was going to be much harder. So I began to think loving and grateful thoughts about myself and my future. And I would offer up these silent prayers all throughout the day, anytime I had an angry thought, which was often, especially in the beginning. And waking up the next day, I was able to get out of bed without much pain. And by the end of the day, I was completely pain-free, back to my old self. And while I was able to change my thoughts, I still had moments of weakness. And I had a lot of difficulty seeing much hope in the future. I literally was only taking it moment by moment. And there were still a lot of pity parties and asking, why me? I knew I could not continue this. And I knew that I needed to rest in the presence of God. But knowing and doing are two very different things. And up until this point, my life had been relatively easy. I wasn't the favored child like Joseph. We were all loved equally, but I had an amazing family. I had wonderful friends, great support, and I, I had never really suffered in my life. And I thought that I had a deep and active faith, but I had never really needed to depend on God because I had everything I thought that I needed. So what do you do when you need to find the presence of God? My dad encouraged me to begin to practice gratitude. Gratitude forces you to stop focusing on what you can accomplish alone and forces you to consider what God has done. I lived close enough that I could walk to work every day. I lived in Florida on an island right next to a bay and my walk every morning was beautiful. The still water, a lot of times there were boats and birds and everything was incredibly well landscaped. Just to give you a little perspective about where I was, um, my neighbor was Derek Jeter. My house didn't look anything like his. Uh, mine was a less than 500 square foot home apartment and my kitchen was in a hallway, but I was still living next to Derek Jeter. So that tells you what the scene looked like every morning when I was walking. So it, I had so much I could be grateful for, even just in that. So my dad would call me as we were, he was going to work and I was walking and we would do this gratitude practice together. And he would say, so what are you grateful for? And I usually would respond with nothing because it was hard to find gratitude and joy and love when you feel miserable. Eventually, anytime a situation came up where I wanted to respond with anger or bitterness or just be upset, I would find something to be grateful for, whether it was related to the situation or not. I started to find small things, like the fact that I could walk, because I could remember a time when it was really painful to walk. And day after day, it became more natural to choose the presence of God. I'd like to look at the rest of Joseph's story, because I feel there is real power in the ending. So we left off where Joseph had just come into power as basically the second in command of Egypt. And the Bible tells us that when Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream through God, he said that there would be seven good years followed by seven years of famine. So in those good years, people needed to store up the extra so that they would have a surplus to get them through the famine. 
So Joseph was placed in charge of coordinating all of this, and when the famine came, Joseph was in charge of giving out the food to the people who came that were hungry. Well, the famine spread all throughout the land, and it affected Joseph's family um, back where his father and his brothers lived. And Jacob, his father, sent the rest of his sons to Egypt to get food and bring back to the family. So Joseph is just going about his normal new life, and one day he looks up and realizes his brothers are standing right in front of him, asking him for food. He is face to face with the ones that changed the trajectory of his life. The same brothers that wanted to leave him for dead and eventually sold him into slavery are standing before him asking for life in the form of food. And the story continues in a drama that sounds like it would be great for a movie. Joseph didn't reveal himself immediately, but made his brothers jump through a couple hoops. And finally, Joseph couldn't stand it any longer, and he tells his brothers who he is. Now, if I was one of those brothers, I would be really worried that the guard of Pharaoh was about to come in and have us killed for what we had done to Joseph to get even with us. And there were definitely, I think, some fear because he, Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Joseph says, God sent me here to preserve your life. And it was not you who sent me, but God. When you read this, it's easy to think, yes, here is the time when the hero of the story, he gets vengeance on what was done to him. And how many times have you wanted the perfect opportunity to get back at those who have hurt you? Well, Joseph had this opportunity right in front of him, but instead he chooses the way of forgiveness. He is aware that what happened to him had a greater purpose in the story of God. He had no idea in the beginning of the story when he was waiting in that pit to see if his brothers would kill him, what would unfold in the next 20 years and how significant his role would be in the story of God's people. It's not that God wanted Joseph to have a hard life, but he invited Joseph to participate in the work that God was doing. Joseph had a choice all along in this story. He could choose the way of anger and fear or he could choose the way of God and live with love and trust. Joseph continued to focus on his relationship with God, and in doing so, he was able to have a different perspective on his life. He chose not to look at all the difficult things, and there were a lot of them, but he chose to see that the work of God was happening all around him. Joseph understood that even in his exile, God still had purpose for his life. In his speech to his brothers, Joseph says three times that God sent him. He's emphasizing this point that God sent him there, and not as a way to you know, diminish what his brothers did, or even, he doesn't even focus on all of his accomplishments. Look, I'm you know, ahead, in charge of Egypt now. But he does it as a point to say that he was always aware of what, was God, what God was doing. I wish I could say I had gotten to the place of forgiveness and trust as fast as Joseph did. Joseph seemed to accept this from the very beginning. It took me a little longer. But Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 kept coming back to me. And things I would listen to or read or conversations that I would have with people, it just always seemed to come up. And the words that Jesus speaks here are, 
love your enemies. No way. I was not ready for that. I will love everyone else. I will love the difficult people at work. I will love the strangers I see on the side of the road. I will love the people that I pass in the grocery store. But don't ask me to love the one who put me in this pit that I didn't want to be in. And God doesn't say to love your enemies as a way to torture you, so you will have to do something hard. Because God knows where there is an ounce of hate and anger, whatever negative emotion it is, it will continue to grow and destroy you like a disease. God commands you to choose love for your own good. God knows how you are designed, and God created us in a way that we thrive when we are extending love to ourselves and outward to others. The moment that I finally said okay to forgiveness and okay to love was the moment that I felt a huge burden lifted from me. I began to understand that the way of Jesus, the way of love and forgiveness, seems difficult because our human minds want justice to be served and we want someone else to blame. But I began to realize that it was much harder to live in this life where I was holding on to that hate and pushing God out. Forgiveness did not make the divorce good or right. Forgiveness doesn't mean that my emotions weren't valid. Forgiveness didn't mean that whatever had happened was okay. It's not okay that Joseph's brothers planned to kill him and then decided to sell him into slavery. It's not okay when bad things happen, but forgiveness means that the event no longer has power over you. Forgiveness means a turning toward God and a turning away from anger. Forgiveness is difficult because in order to forgive, something has to die. Our anger, our bitterness, our desire for vengeance, our desire to be right, something has to end. Because really what we are saying when we hold on and we withhold forgiveness is that we need to be in control of this situation. We're saying that this didn't go the way it was supposed to and I need it to change. And maybe if I hold on to this long enough, it will change. And even if we're right, we cannot control the past. It has to die. But as followers of Christ, we know that death is not the end. We know that after death, there is resurrection. After we forgive and we let go of our need to have control, after we let it die, we are able to have life. And as Jesus said, life to the fullest, a life with peace and love. Joseph's last line in this story has become one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Joseph has sent his brothers back to get his father, Jacob, and to bring the whole family there to be in Egypt with him. And Joseph provides for the whole family. And Joseph's father, Jacob, eventually dies, and his brothers start to think, maybe all this nice stuff that Joseph said was only because our dad was here. And now that he's gone, he's going to remember all that bad stuff that we did, and he's going to try to pay us back. So they go to him again, and they ask for forgiveness again. And Joseph again tells them not to be afraid. Joseph knew that his brothers were afraid of retribution because what they did was wrong and it was hurtful. 
and Joseph didn't deserve it. But Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to save many lives. Joseph was able to look at his situation and say, God is working here no matter how bad I think it is. And I believe that it's this thought that carried Joseph through his time in Egypt. Even though he was in a pit, even though he sold into slavery, even though he's in prison, even though his dreams are gone, even though life is not going the way he wanted, God is working for good. He may not know what that good is, and it may not be what he envisioned, but only in the hands of God can evil become good. And we have this ability to connect to this relationship if we just pause long enough to notice the presence of God. If we put aside our ideas about how things are supposed to be, and we connect to the one who has already ordained all things. When I look at this story of Joseph, his situation was so much worse than mine. So how was he able to handle his exile so well? How was he able to cope with life when it didn't happen the way it was supposed to? Joseph clearly understood that his situation in life was not what gave him purpose, but rather it was his relationship and connection to God. Joseph was able to let go of how his life was supposed to go and cling to the never-ending goodness of God. When I was consumed with anger and bitterness, there was no room for God. There was no room for love. There was no room for God to work. I was only consumed with my plans for how I wanted my life to go and what my dreams were and my desires were. Joseph did not put his trust in God only to have his greatest desire granted. He was not following God in hopes that he would be returned to his family once again and be on top as the favorite son. Joseph didn't say, maybe if I'm a blessing here in Egypt, then I'll get to go back home. Joseph was not faithful for the sake of a blessing. And when his brothers come and they bow in front of him, the Bible says that Joseph then remembers that dream that God had given him long ago where his brothers were bowing in front of him. And Joseph realized that he was able to get to this point, a place that he saw in the dream, and this place that God had for him all along, but it was never in the way that Joseph had imagined. Yes, his brothers were there bowing in front of him, but Joseph is not ruling over his brothers as he's ruling over his father's land, but yet he is serving his brothers. And he was able to get to this point only because he continually sought and trusted God. Sometimes we focus on the dreams that we have and we idolize the plans that we have for our life. Even when we think that those plans are ordained by God, instead of focusing our attention on God. When Joseph thought his dream would never happen, he continued to remain faithful to God. And his dream was realized in a way that was much bigger than he ever could have imagined. And because of his faithfulness, he saved the entire people of God. Joseph knew that a relationship with God is not about the blessing. And it's not about the big dream that you think God is holding for you. 
Joseph understood that a relationship with God is about connection to your creator and the peace and the love that comes from being in the presence of God and extending that outward to others. The moment that I felt true peace from God was the moment that I said, I don't know what you have in store for my life, but I choose from this moment on to see your love and your presence everywhere without expecting to receive any blessing in return. And the funny thing about focusing on your connection to God is that you start to forget about your own desires and you start to see the blessing of God everywhere. I chose to see God in everything, in the joy, in the chaos, in the scary things, in the things that weren't supposed to happen. I had no idea what God had planned as the next chapter in my life, but I came to a place where I was able to confidently say that the dreams that I have for my life may never happen. I may never see that, but I will choose to see God in everything. One of my biggest supporters through my divorce was a friend I met while living in Florida, actually as a result of my ex-husband's job. She saw me through some of my most difficult and raw moments. And I didn't tell her about my new commitment and this new perspective that I had. Um, But one day she said to me, I sense this change in you and it's really good. And her next words were, I feel like God wants me to introduce you to my friend David. And the rest is history. And it wasn't until I understood that the greatest blessing of God is simply being connected to the Spirit and having a relationship with God that extends outward, that I was able to be open to receive this blessing that I thought I always needed. This life that was not supposed to happen was exactly the blessing that God had all along. If I had never stopped to be grateful and still long enough to connect to the presence of God, I know I never would have been able to receive this blessing that God had planned, the blessing that was always on its way. For some of you, Mother's Day is a day of celebration. You had a wonderful mom or many great mother figures that shaped your life. Maybe you're a mom now and you treasure the moments with your children. Mother's Day might be a joy for you because you waited a long time to become a mother and you finally see the rainbow. But for some of you, Mother's Day is anything. Oh, why am I crying? (laughs) For some of you, Mother's Day is a day of celebration. You had a great mom or many wonderful mother figures that shaped your life. Maybe you're a mom now and you treasure all those moments with your children. And Mother's Day might be a joy for you because you waited a long time to become a mother and you finally see the rainbow at the end of that difficult journey. But for some of you, Mother's Day is anything but a day to be celebrated. Maybe you had a difficult relationship with your own mother. Maybe this day is a painful reminder of the void in your life since your mom is no longer present. Maybe you lost the one who made you a mother. Maybe today is a painful reminder of your desire to have children. Wherever you find yourself today, I hope 
that you choose the way of God and that you choose love and trust and forgiveness. I hope that you're able to see the blessings of God, however big and small, and rest in the fact that the greatest blessing is knowing the presence of God.